Michael Yo Show. Celebrities, pop culture, and comedy. All right, Doc. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? You know what? Uh, a lot of people know you from Young Sheldon. You play a coach. Now, were you good at athletics when you were growing up? I was, uh, yes, I was. I played baseball. Uh, I didn't play football a whole lot. Basketball, I kind of taught on my own. My father was huge in sports. Uh, and, yeah, I actually was good. So, okay. Yeah. So, so did you ever think in the, like, when you were young, you were like, you know what? One day I'm gonna be a coach, but not a real coach. I'm gonna be an acting coach. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna be an actor as a coach. Right. <laughs> you no. know that. No, uh, no, I didn't. But I will say this: if you if you look at me on the show, you will now know what my father looked like 20, 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Like that's exactly what he looked like. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I look at myself and I go, "Oh my god, I look just like my father." <laughs> but I, I didn't think about acting until I was thirty. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I. Went to school for, I was going to school for nursing. I was a corpsman in the Navy, uh, and we did all kinds of medical stuff. And I was uh, went to nursing school when I got out. And while I was in nursing school, I was watching, actually, the Colbert Report. Yeah. And uh, and then right after that was uh, Larry the Cable Guy. And I remember I was smoking a cigar, and I went, I can do that shit. Right? I can do that. Right? Yeah. And do you think, do you think, and first of all, thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. You know, thank I you. appreciate that. Uh, do you think because you went through the military, because you, you go against all types of odds, just walking in to the military, and then when you get shipped off to Iraq, that's another level. So does it seem like anything in life after you experience something like that is just easy? Well, I, I think it's, the, there's a, a level of uh, discipline, there's a level of, uh, I can take over the world that comes with that. Uh, but there's still a, a whole lot of fear after that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started doing stand up, uh, I can tell you that the first year I would rather put on a backpack and, and, and carry a weapon and hump through Iraq than, than to do, than stand to do up. open mic. Yeah. It was, it was really scary. It was really, really scary for me. Uh, and, it, and I moved to LA to do stand up, but it took me three months to even go to an open mic. So did you already do stand up before you moved to LA? No. Uh-uh. So you just said, I'm going to come to LA and do stand up and do open mics. Yep. Wow. This, this is how, how old were you? I was 31 when okay. I got to LA. Well, I was turning 31. Okay. I, uh, like I said, I was in, uh, I was watching the Colbert Report and Larry the Cable Guy I said, I can do that. I went back. I was at College of the Desert over in, um, Palm Desert over by Palm Springs and I changed my classes. I was supposed to go do something else and I changed classes so that it would still go towards the nursing program, but it would teach me something or it would show me what I would be looking to. And it was uh, public speaking and an acting class. And as soon as I took the acting class, I knew how scary it was going to be, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So, so you consider now when you're young and didn't know the difference, you mm-hmm. considered acting was stand up comedy. If you, it's kind of the same thing right. when you're young and haven't done it yet. No, it was actually because of an uh, interview I saw with Dave Chappelle. And he said that uh, Bill Cosby told him that if you want to be a great comedian, you have to be a good actor. So I knew that if I was coming out here, that I would go to acting school. Okay. Be- for that reason. Now, a lot of people move to L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get caught in these acting schools. You know, it's like, oh, well, you're good. We're going to start you in the first level, then move you to the second level. Move right. you. To- but then I've interviewed people like Jennifer Lawrence that goes, eh, I never took acting classes. It it's all yeah. depends on the actor. Were you the type of person that just lived at the acting school, made friends at the acting school? I was, or how, how were you? I was none of that. 
Okay. My, right. Right. There my, you go. My, mine was I I had no money coming out here. Okay. I had no money. I had actually I had two thousand dollars and I had a motorcycle and I came out here with both. Typical LA story, man. I tell you, I, I, that's how it was. I ended up in Just Koreatown, living in a, a a box about the big as a kitchen table for about five hundred six hundred dollars a month, and I knew that I could last for a while, but I had the GI bill on my side, so. In order to take acting class, I need to go to a registered school uh, in order for the GI Bill to kick in. And for people that don't know what the GI Bill, what is that? It's the, uh, the it's the the GI Bill is what they give to. It's a bill that was signed. I can't remember what year it was, but it was for people who served in the United States military to be able to have money to use towards schooling after they got out. Great. So that was the only thing that I had. So I had to get accepted into the school, but I moved out here. Three days after, I'm sorry, three days before I had um, actually auditioned for the school. So it was all or nothing for me. And then they said, okay, you're in. I had a five minute, five month window of. And when you say audition for the school, what is, what was that audition? Uh, it was two monologues and a song. Okay. Yeah, and, so you can sing as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, well, I sang Cupid. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. A little 112 Cupid? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. What Cupid are you talking about? Sam. Sam oh, Cook. okay. Yeah. Okay. I sang Cupid from back in the day. All right. Give know? me some. Give me okay, some Cupid. Right. Okay. Here we go. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go straight to my lover's heart for me. Nobody but me. Cupid, please hear my cry and let your arrow fly straight to my lover's heart for me. Yeah, that's what's up right there. That's what got me in the school. That's what got you in the school. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure got you into other places too we won't uh, talk about. <laughs> yeah. Back so, in my 20s. Yeah. So, so you got into this school and that was a big deal because you moved here saying this is all this is it yeah you got into the school and then what i still had five months to get so i started doing whatever little jobs i could get um the motorcycle that i came out on ended up i ended up getting to a motorcycle accident broke my foot sprained my hip uh and uh pinched a nerve in my back this is a week before i was starting the school and I didn't have any money. I mean, I had used everything on rent and I had dried up everything. Okay. Uh, I eat a lot. So that's where <laughs> a lot of, you know. Okay. Uh, so I, because I was so afraid of getting a ticket on the train and I knew I couldn't get on the bus, I actually walked four miles to acting school on a broken foot for about two weeks be- until the settlement money started coming in. And then I got on the bus and all that kind of stuff. Oh. It, it's, you have, you have, <laughs> It's weird how the people that struggled the most, and there's people with bigger struggles than what you had coming in. Those are the people that make it. It's almost like you have to go through hard times in LA at the beginning. Because well, I, I don't know if it builds more character in you. I, I don't know what it is, but it's hardly ever you meet anyone that goes, yeah, I moved to LA and I crushed it right out the box. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was just watching an interview with, with, uh, Eddie Murphy and he was like, I was, I was genius immediately. So yeah. he, he didn't have to go through a lot, but I think that if, if it, I had to look at acting and comedy differently, yeah, I didn't look at it as in telling, I didn't look at it as in being famous in front of film 
And I had to stop looking at it as being famous in front of film and making people laugh. I had to look at it as telling a story. And the more that's added on to my story, the better I can push that out. Okay. That's the way I had to start looking at it. So you're in the school. Is that when you started going to open mics or did you need to get settled in the school first? Well, I started doing open mics uh, before that. So I was here for three months. I finally said, I'm going to do open mic. And I went to uh, Westwood Brewing House. I don't think it's still there anymore. But uh, um, I worked out there, and uh, it was the, the first open mic I did was the day after Michael Jackson had died. Oh, and I had please had, tell me you didn't do a Michael Jackson. Of joke. course I did. Oh uh, my but, god! Like, but like, every, okay, so this here's the thing. <laughs> so like, everybody was doing Michael Jackson jokes, right? So I was like the seventh comedian up, and I had written down some stuff. I didn't know how to write. I didn't know, but I had met. Uh, uh, Alonzo Bowden. And he said, you know I what? love Alonzo. Yeah. I met him before I came out here. I saw him do a show over in Palm Springs. I said, Hey man, tell me about comedy. He says, you know what? You can do all kinds of stuff, but the truth is just get up there and do it. And, and that's what I did. It is the truth. Right. So they're, they're, uh, telling all these Michael Jackson jokes. And I said, I don't have any Michael Jackson jokes, but, uh, I think that it's, uh, <laughs> this is, this was the joke. I said, I think I wasn't tripping over it, but, uh, I did realize that this is the first two, t- the first time in history that two famous white women died in the same day. Because Fair Fawcett, yeah, died fair, day, right? that's funny. Okay. So everybody got the reference, but all you hear is nothing, and then you hear like five seconds later, you hear, <laughs> "That's it, that was it," and I was like, "Like I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that that was the worst feeling of my life." To, to hear that five seconds pause was the worst feeling I ever had in my life. But um, uh, uh, Jody Carter uh, said the same thing. Come back up. So the next day I went back and I bombed again. Okay. <laughs> the okay. next day I went back and I bombed again. And what was so what was so fascinating to me at the time was there was two comedians there that were had been doing it for ten years, and they were bombing worse. But they were trying to give me advice, and I'm like, I really don't want to. Yeah. Listen to what you got to say because I don't have a gauge on what what you're saying is true. It's an open mic. So, I came back 2 weeks later and I just bam, bam, bam. Everything I came out of my mouth for some reason had turned into gold. Then I had to stop because of school. Okay. So I started going to acting school and there's this uh, but I had started not that time. I I had met a guy the first there, Troy Moyd. He's huge up in the bay. One of the funniest creatures on planet Earth in my opinion. And because I wasn't able to do stand up or work out anything, I would, uh, he would have a show and I say, Oh man, I'll get you two people to show. And I would have 10, 15 people coming. And then, uh, later on, uh, the next year, he said, I'm putting you on a show. And I went, <clears throat> What? So then that every weekend I was open mic, I was working out stuff, working out stuff. I got up there and I did the show and I didn't, I didn't, I go back and I listen to it. Oh, you still have it? Yeah, I still okay. have it. I, I recorded it. I listened to it when I when I did it. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm the king of the world!" I made everybody laugh. There was applaud breaks. Blah blah. blah. I go back and listen to it. You you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you are so stupid. I don't know why people were laughing at you. It's just that, that there's so much to be learned. And since you've then. grown since then. Yeah, but you don't do stand up anymore, do you? I do. I do every now and then when I get a chance. I've got a I got a show on the ninth uh, with a very good friend, Ro uh, Della Grazie, who is. One of the funniest women I've ever met in my life. Uh, Where's that going down? Uh, that's going over at it's the Comedy Dojo. She she puts together. Okay. Yeah. You know what yep. it is. So she puts together her students, and I, I use her sometimes to bounce off ideas. So she says, let me put you on a show. And um, 
So, but I also, uh, Attack of the Comedians over at Flappers, uh, yep. I've hosted there three times. And, uh, last year around this time, I said, you know what? I want to host, um, because it's something I've never done before. I've done it every now and then, but to form a craft around that. And for those of you who don't understand, there's a difference. There's a huge difference between hosting and, and 100%. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. And I've, I've put people on my shows like Greg Wilson. Uh, 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 Joel Bryant, who is, is one of the best crowd people I've ever seen. Um, and Darren Capozzi, who he, that's what he does. I mean, he goes to, he does it for, you know, he warms up, uh, three camera angle. Yeah. And so I said, look, I want, I need to learn how to host. So I put out in the universe and I put out to my friends, Hey, I want to host. And this year alone, I've, I may have hosted maybe 10, 15. Shows. So you enjoy that. I enjoy learning the process. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm not, I mean, because it's so much responsibility behind it, it's not me being funny. It's me making sure I plant the seed for everybody else there and keeping the show going. So it's a, it's a huge responsibility for me, at least the way I see it. Um, so I, what's, enjoy- what's the one takeaway you learn from hosting so far? Uh, it, that it's not about me. Um, I mean, I've got stuff that will go in there and kill, but it's like, I'm also a storyteller. So it it would take me a long time to rev up to get to that. But if after I do that, like I'm taking away time, I'm taking away energy that needs to be passed on to the next person. And I tell you, uh, I, I did a show once over at, uh, John Lovitz and this comedian who was running the show, he may have had several different substances in his system at the time. <laughs> uh, I say may have, but it somehow he, it wasn't, it wasn't talcum powder he was putting on his nose in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, and he was hosting and he took 23 minutes off the top. Oh my goodness. And he did between five and, and 17 minutes between each comedian. And I had brought seven comedians out. And another another guy I, I like to host is uh Teddy Tuts and he's over in New York now. And he was he was mad. I mean Oh yeah. He was mad. I was already mad. But Teddy Tutson was like through the roof mad because I had brought these guys out to do the, and he was taking up their time. And I promised that I would never ever make hosting about me. I mean, of course I've got to go out there and do my thing, but I would never ever make hosting about me. All right. So I I wanna switch gears here. I see the hat. Iraq veteran. Uh, you wear it proudly. I do. I do. Um, so how, what was the process? What made you want to be in the military? Uh, for me, it, my father and all of his brothers, his father and all of his brothers and all their brothers, um, they were all in. I think we go back four generations. And So I, was it just assumed you were going to do it too? No, it wasn't. Okay. My father didn't make me. He didn't. He didn't uh, convince me. He didn't influence me, although I knew how to tell military time since I was four. And mil- the way you make a bed in the military, I learned that when I was five. Like, I knew how to do that. My father did everything like he did in the military, folding clothes, ironing, all of that stuff. But it wasn't like I had a choice of whether I was going to pursue baseball or whether I was going to go in the military. And that was the only two choices, in my opinion, that I had. I knew nothing else. I knew about mm-hmm. nothing else. And there came a moment where I went, this is what I want to do. Um, I can't remember the exact moment. Um, I remember watching a movie where they were talking about this, this guy in the military, and I was like, that's kind of what I want them to say about me. Yeah. But it was just, it, 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 looking back on it, it was just the next thing to do. And I, when I was 20, I ended up joining the Navy. And the reason I joined the Navy is because I liked medicine. 
And I also wanted the, the, the diversity because with being a corpsman, I can serve with any branch anytime I want. And, and my focus at the time was, was going for either uh, special forces, uh, Navy SEALs or recon. And I could do that being a corpsman. I can just go in, in a lot of different directions. And when I joined, um, I was a, I was a homeschooler and my recruiter who tells, you know, he tells me anything. He's like, you might be the first homeschooler to ever join the military. (laughs) I want them to say that about me too. You know? (laughs) So I I don't know whether that's true or not, but, um, it, it was a, it was a hard adjustment for me going into the military because I'm, I was from small town and, I had this this thing about what was right and wrong and what's supposed to be done and how it's supposed to work. And in boot camp, they just break you all the way down to zero, which is what they're supposed how to do. How was boot camp? Boot camp, um, I, it, so... Well, like, what are the things, if you can say, well, yeah. like, what are the type of things they do to you? Because I've read in the Navy SEAL books, you well, know. That, that's a whole that's another, another level. level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in Navy boot camp was was not as hard to me as some other schools after that. But they break you down to think like a team. If if and when I don't know if you ever wrestled, I never wrestled. But usually when you're dealing with sports teams, they say the the team is no uh, stronger than the weakest link. Yes. Well, every time that weak link is weak, they punish the whole team. Or or you have to be able to think that no man is ever left behind. Nobody is is lesser or or more important. We're all a part of the same group. So if you think that way, everything is done in a group. You march in a group. You eat as a group. You you do everything as a group. And when one thing is off, the whole team has to pay for it. So Or pick up the slack. Pick up so, the slack. So, so, so it's you not learn noticeable. how to pick up the slack yeah. so it's not noticeable so the whole team doesn't suffer. Um, and that's what boot camp is like. I mean, there was calisthenics, there was push-ups, pull. I mean, and then there were special times where everybody was doing something, or enough people were doing something wrong on the wrong day, where they would they would yell out "abandoned ship," and you knew that you weren't going anywhere for two or three more hours. And and if you were in the in the uh, barracks, you they would push the beds back, and you would just stand there and you'd say, on your face, and then you'd stay in what's called the leaning rest, where you're in the up push-up position until he said do something different. And you were happy when he said do something different because your chest if, wasn't hurting. Well, what if you couldn't hold it though that long? Oh, you then he would switch it. If you weren't holding that long, he would t- he would yell at you. You'd okay, get back yeah, up yeah. a little bit longer. Okay. And then when he figured that you you know may die, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would switch to do something else. And then you're doing jumping jacks and then burpees and. Okay, know. so when you get deployed, because you went to Iraq, right? I went twice. Yes. Okay, you went twice. Yes. Uh, when you get deployed, I mean, we all know about it, but mm. what is something from an outside person like me, like didn't know, like a person like you going in, what did you see that kind of just, or what, what was it about it that made you go back twice? And what is something you, you saw that will never leave your mind? So I'll say what I can and, and respectfully, there's things that I probably wouldn't say over the radio. It's just yeah, because they're, they're close and, 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 and they're hard. Uh, I spent, I spent three years in, in uh, Japan uh, working at a hospital. So I was trained in the ER and because of that, I took that over to Iraq a little bit differently than, than people who didn't have that kind of training, but we all trained very hard to go. Um, when nine 11 happened, I was in Okinawa watching uh, uh wasn't it was the playoffs, the baseball playoffs, because it was in September. And when I came back, two thousand one, I had gotten with uh, one seven, uh, first battalion, seventh Marines, 
uh, over in 29 Palms, we knew at some point we were going over there because Afghanistan had already pretty much started, but that we weren't going to go. Um, what I would say, just thinking of the beginning to end of the first deployment, um, people don't understand what it's like to have made a decision to, for whatever reason, to protect the country or to go for a cause and have absolutely not no idea what's going to happen when you go there. We trained hard for every possible situation, but we just, you just don't know. Um, to the point of not knowing, it becomes less about the country and more about the person that's right next to you. And in doing so, automatically creates this protection for the country uh, as the philosophy. So it's too big to think about protecting the country. It's much easier to think, I'm over here so that somebody else doesn't have to be. Or I'm over here because this guy next to me, I know how to fix him if something happens. And I can. So it's about the people next to you. Um, I was there in Najaf for the Ayatollah bombing in 2003. That um, was probably one of the harder things because you're talking about about 250 people who had been blown up, who we had to put in and we had to take care of. And it's in the middle of August and it's hot. Uh, that was probably one of the harder things that I had to deal with. But I also had friends that were hurt and that I couldn't treat. And, and that was where, where my guilt and my pain sat because I could not fix you. And you, that was my job. That's what I went over there for. The decision to go back the second time was not, I say it's a decision, but it almost wasn't. For me, um, it had been something that was brutal on me, on my emotions, on my, on me as uh, to the core of my being. There's a, I mean, we can go talk about a lot of things, but there's whole branches of psychology that are formed for what I'm talking about now. Um, so when I came back, I stayed drunk for two straight months. Didn't I, I stayed drunk for two Was it because months. you lost friends or you seen so much death around you? There was there was the death around me. There were friends that I couldn't fix. There were there were there were it, it's a complete fracturing of for me at least, I, I can't speak for everyone else, but I can say that I'm not the only one. It's a complete fracturing of not only the emotional uh, stability of some of a human being, but also the moral fabric of a human being. Uh, one of the things that I've been learning since I've been been out is that you kind of grow up thinking, uh, America, this one. Uh, if you do good, then things will be great. When you go over to war. It fractures all of that. The world is, it's a completely different war. It's a completely different world than what anything has everybody ever said. And my father was able to give me some kind of advice for when I go, but he, he knew that he could not explain what he had experienced because it's something you just have to experience. So when you're over there, you, in your mind, it's like, yeah, I'm doing this for my country, but I'm, I'm there to help fix the person. Right. That's coming. You have to switch that. You have to switch it. You have to because at some point you forget. Why it, it the country uh, the reasons for being there start to shift, and you have to make it about the person next to you. Do you? 
and this isn't a direct question for you, but I would imagine some people get down there once the reality hits mm. and where, where they're like, I don't even know why I'm out here. Uh, does my country even care that I'm out here? That, you know, absolutely. Because I feel that if it's not in front of your face, as an American watching t- television, mm-hmm. if you don't see, we have soldiers dying now. Yes. For causes, mm-hmm. but it's not direct and sent, direct and so we kind of lose consciousness of it. Right, and I I feel that if I was a soldier out there and there wasn't a lot of emphasis on us a lot of times mm-hmm. uh, in America, right. it's almost like, well, does our country even care? It it could feel that way, especially when you're told one thing and it starts to unravel at some point, and that's why it's so important to make it about who's with you. Because if I keep it to, we there's a there's a sense of I'm just doing I'm doing my job, and there's a sense of it's about the people that I'm around because that's the only world that exists. Um, we had several conversations about the 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 legitimacy of why we were there or where we were or or what we were doing, but at that moment it has to be about my Marines and and that's who I serve I, I with is Marines. Uh, seven and then back for three, four, it, it absolutely has to be what's right in front of you. So did you need to go back a second time? It's almost like, because the reason why I, I say this, I interviewed the guys that did Benghazi, they went in and mm-hmm. normal life to them is very boring and dull. Like they get excited. Like literally they get excited talking about bullets buzzing by their head. Like they're in it. And the normal world is just very dull and boring. And they hate watching the news and seeing people die where they're like, I could have been there and saved them. Mm. You know, because like you said, it's about brotherhood. Right. So what got you back that second? You were in this daze for two months drinking? Yes. Two months straight. I mean, I was still functional. I mean, there's still things to be done, but I couldn't sleep. Uh Um, To this day, I I need noise to fall asleep because of the sound of, of mortars and of helicopters. I still need to, to hear noise. So you still, yeah. I mean, I watch, Ar- I fall asleep to Archer and, okay, <laughs> okay. but okay. I, I still kind of need noise. Um, so when I, I knew that I couldn't stay in the United States, like that's what that two months was for me. But I, why, why couldn't you stay in the United States? Because this particular world no longer matched. My world was back with my Marines. And you functioned better in that world at the time. Wonderfully. The first time. The second time, for me, it was when the world stopped working. Both worlds had stopped working because I didn't adjust uh, uh, very well to either one the second time I went back. But the reason that I had went back was because this particular world, America, whatever you want to, you know, wherever is not in theater, it wasn't working. And in, in, in where everybody was kind of getting a rotation here and then going back, there were a few of us uh, that we got back onto the next unit that was going back over. And then I went and spent two months in Okinawa, which I, I love more than life itself. I haven't been in a long time, but I, I love that place. Uh, and then I was back over uh, into Iraq in uh, early February. So, yeah. Did you ever, I mean, of course you did this because it's uh, any human would like, what if I don't come back this time? Did you ever think that? Uh, no. Um, we, we, I, uh, there was a couple of people we had talked about that. And, you know, there's, there's people that write letters before they go out into combat. We, I did. Uh, I never, you know, I gave it to a friend. He gave it to me. He gave me his. And, um, 
the second time I went over, actually the first time and, and the second time, it was never about not coming back. It was, it was just, this is where we're going. Uh, I never had feared of dying uh, over there. It was just, this is what I'm going to do. And if I do, then this is what I'm doing. It's the same way that I feel when I, I ride a motorcycle right like, now. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like, you know, at least you know your purpose. You feel good enough about the situation to go and try to save people that are close to you or a brotherhood. Yeah. You know, it's almost and where you're like, look, I'm dying for what I believe is right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so if I die doing this, I die doing this. It's almost like, what? Well, it's not almost like, it's not even close. <laughs> I don't want to even put my, like my son, I would... I would die at a drop of dime for my son that's two and yeah. a half years old. And if I go that way, hey, that's just the way it goes. You know what I mean? And yeah. I would do it a hundred times over yeah. where I don't know, like, like because it's my son. Like, it, it's crazy how people in the military can switch a level where everybody is their family. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing I got from this brotherhood of these Benghazi guys they made a yeah. movie of. It's like they were family. Like yeah. almost family to the point where they were more family than their actual family. So, it, to, to I, I don't know if this is a good comparison or mm-hmm. a good analogy or anything, but think of the two months after nine eleven, yeah, where everybody was America. Oh my God, everybody got For along. Two months, yeah. Black people were America. Native Americans were America. Spanish were America. everybody was America. There is something about that after or understanding that the capacity to love each other or to be there for each other if you know something's going to happen or if you after something has happened. And for us, it started in boot camp. Just that whoever's right there is all we've got. And it it actually started to bleed over into acting life when I got into acting school. And it was also, it was a problem because when I'm working on a scene, it's life or death. We yeah. know, when I was doing, when I was in acting school, and I'm there with people who weren't, weren't necessarily wanting to be there for. They're just for, there for yeah, fun. They're just there for fun. I, I'm here in LA. Like, I should do this. Hey, we need to, we need to get this thing straight. You know, and yeah. they're like, hey, okay, we'll get there tomorrow. And yeah. I'm like, no, we need to do this now. So you know, bringing that back to this world is a huge adjustment, and it's something that that should not be overlooked. I mean, it's 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 a. It's a it's it's a problem, you know. It's something that needs to be be uh, be be done systematically. All right, I want to take a quick break. We're going to come right back with Doc Farrow. Uh, you know him from uh, the Young Sheldon, and you have some other projects yeah. you're doing as well. So we'll be right back. It's the Michael Yo Show. Hey, what's up? It's Michael Yo. Okay, if you like the show, please support it right now. Just go to iTunes, give it five stars, leave a comment, and subscribe. It does so much for the show. It helps get us into the top of the charts. And we're building momentum, man. We're so excited about the show. We're so excited about the guests we have coming on. So please support the show. It means a lot to me. Subscribe, comment, give it five stars. And please share it as well. All right, we're back. Yes, I said the young Sheldon. It is young Sheldon. Is it young Sheldon? Is that the it's what? Young it's young Sheldon. Yeah. I just call him Sheldon. <laughs> like literally, it's it's yeah. the spinoff of the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, and yeah. it's huge. Big Bang went away, so now it's the young. No, yeah. it, it's young Sheldon. <laughs> it is young. Uh, man, thank you so much for the stories about uh, your past because you know it's very inspiring to. 
people like me that hear these stories about how you beat all those odds, the things you went through, you come back. So let, I, I, I want to pick up where we left off. You come back mm-hmm. from um, Iraq the second time. Yes. This, uh, this is where's your mind at the second time? When you oh, is it relief? Is it? It's, it's all over the place. Okay. It, it was it was worse for me. Uh, the, the second time I went over was Fallujah. The invasion of Fallujah, yeah. and it was uh, it, it it was it was hard for me to to readjust. Um, not only was it uh, Fallujah, but when I got back, um, I didn't go with my original unit back to Iraq, and that uh, that unit um, when they got back, that's when they got hit real hard. And for me to not go back with my original unit and to um, to, to, to know that these guys uh, in my unit, number one, suffered without me and died with or without me as far as me dying. Oh, when you too. say that, that unit got hit. So, yeah. like, they got hit over there. Almost immediately when they got back over there. And and nine people from my unit had, had died that day. And that was – that f- – can I cuss here? Yeah. Okay, great. That fucked me for a long time. That uh, – which – when we get to the project that I have now is about that. Um, my, my, it was nine people that were in my, uh, platoon, not my platoon, but my, my battalion that, uh, had, had within, I think seven days of them being back had got, uh, hit by a couple of IEDs and they were gone. And I was, you know, they asked me to go back to that unit and I didn't. Why not? Because I had orders to a, a more condensed and special unit. And I was going to be fighting war somewhere else. And uh, my, my, the next unit was going to be Fast Company, which was a um, fleet anti-terrorist security team. Um, and theirs is, uh, theirs is more, more specific. Their, uh, their mandate is more specific. But this is what gets me the psyche of you. It's not like, whoo, I could have died too. Mm-hmm. It's, Man, yeah. I wasn't there to die with them or to protect them. No, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's, that's what's amazing about the yeah. brotherhood of like military or even just a brotherhood in general, but even yeah. more military. And it took it took a long time, and I mean, up until maybe two or three years ago, to realize at a deeper part of me that they did they they were doing what they went to go do. Um, and I'm still alive for a reason. Mm-hmm. It took a long time and it still hits me from time to time. Well, let's talk about that project, mm. uh, about this incident. What's it called and what, what, what exactly is it? So the, the, the project is called Saved Rounds. It's yeah. a short film we shot last year. Um, Saved Rounds, um, in military terms, when you go out on the, the rifle range, the RSO or the range, range safety officer comes behind you afterwards. He shakes you down. He says, Hey, do you, you have any more? Uh, brass or bullets on you, rounds. So he says, you have any saved rounds? And it's basically so you don't walk off by accident with, with some bullets. So in the Marine Corps, uh, f- you know, when they were not on the, at, the, at the range, every time we, when I would uh, give a briefing to my corpsman or uh, a sergeant or gunny sergeant was giving a briefing down to his troops, the last thing he would say is, do I have any saved rounds? If you were walking away at the end of the day, you would say, hey, do I have any save rounds? So save rounds became a, a moniker for just do. Is there something left undone that I need to take care of? So this project is about a, a, a survivor guilt ridden corpsman 
me mm-hmm. who uh, he still screwed up because he did not save some of his Marines were over in Iraq. And because he, uh, the longer version of this is that he tries to kill himself a couple of times. Um, but for the short, he gets visited by one of his Marines that he couldn't save a really dear close friend of his. And uh, he basically messes with him like, like we tend to do with each other until he goes and fulfills the promise that he said, which was to pass on a message uh, to his family and to give them a gift. So this journey is him and his, uh, his Marine, uh, Marine that's a, a ghost is giving this message back. And while one of the only people that actually deals with him in this world, because he's a loner, he's, he's pretty secluded. He's, he's a recluse, um, is, uh, Lori, who is the bartender, uh, at the bar that he only shows up at this bar just to get something to drink and pretty much leave. And she basically says, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I want to, help and she takes him to this place she has no clue what's going on but you find out that her father was in in vietnam and that she the reason that she's pulled to him is because she she just knows that there's something, something there. there yeah, yeah. and it, it's uh it, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece I, I wrote it with um a friend of mine uh deborah leonhart and i have to tell you that no matter what i've gone through um, and no matter what I feel about this, she's my hero because while we were shooting this and it's while we were shooting this, her father was dying of cancer complications from agent orange in Vietnam. And he died a couple of months after this. And, and we, we pay tribute to, uh, to both of our fathers and this, her father being in, in Vietnam, my father being in Vietnam and, we, uh, it, it's just, it took me two years. It took us five years, really, I guess, overall to get to this point. Uh, we put it into film festivals. Uh, it took me a long time to be able to touch on this because this is largely me. Um, we workshopped it with, uh, uh Bobby Moresco, uh, who is, if for those who don't know, he wrote, uh, he co-wrote Crash. And he um, was the co-producer for Million Dollar Baby. And he has a group that we, we workshopped it through. And I don't know if anybody's ever written anything or if you haven't written anything, but if you want to know how closed-minded you might be, <laughs> listen to other people read your stuff and then give you feedback. Because I was sitting there going, I'm, why does nobody love me? You know, because like you wrote this and it's your heart there. Yeah. And then people are going, your heart's great, but it's not going to be great on film. This is what... This is what we see. This is what we don't see. And when I presented it and they read it, they said, okay, these are the notes we've got. And we said, hey, this guy, uh, we want, we think you might want to direct this. And his name is John Finn. I noticed him most poignantly for me from he was the guy on uh, the movie Glory, you know, whipping Denzel Washington. That's where I remember yeah. from. But now he's, I mean, he's been acting for so long. He's on um uh, the Walking Dead for this next this the last two seasons of this next season coming up, and he's on uh, Ad Astra, this movie that came out um, about a month ago. He's just brilliant, and he took it and said, and it was good because I wasn't I, the the things that I had written before. I was like, nope, you can't you can't touch it. Just 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 direct it. It was just, too close. Yeah, to you. Was, yeah, I was like, no, I was I was too close minded about my own writing. I was like, I could not hear anything. And then when he came along, it was perfect because not only was I open, more open, but I also trusted him 
because he was a vet. He was actually one of the last frogmen before they switched over to Navy SEALs in Vietnam. And he has a long history of military and, and being able to uh, honor the text of, of military projects. Um, I love Clint Eastwood for that. Uh, Mel Gibson's another one. Um, and Oliver Stone, in their own way, they honor um, military projects uh, w- with a degree that that is almost unmatched. So, when will we be able to see Save Rounds? It is in the film festival run right now. Okay, so, so yep. yeah, so once it once we get it in a film festival and and people can can show up, there's we're entering them into a lot of them here in LA okay. and, and all over the country. Um, once they've you know, gotten the premiere status or whatever the case might be, then we can release it online. But as of right now, because we are, we're doing the film festival thing. So, you know, follow us and we'll yeah. be able to tell you, you know, which film festival we'll be in. How can they follow you? Is uh, there a website for it? Is there, or do they uh, just follow you? Savedroundsmovie.com. You can always look up docfarrow.com. And, yeah. Uh, docfarrow period. And you can find uh, the project. Um, but savedroundsmovie.com. Dot com is the uh, website. Uh, Saved Rounds 1 on Twitter, the number one. Saved Rounds, uh, at Saved Rounds on Facebook and, and Instagram, and you'll be able to find us. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we've got some really a good push, and we've got some really good reviews because I can't, I can't show it yet, but I have, have sent it to a few different people to good. just write some reviews on. And more importantly, I've been able to take this to my Marines, and Mike Corman and uh, to the VA to to small groups and watch it. And more importantly than this being a a cinema a, a, a cinematic story for everybody to get behind, but I need this to be real for us. And one of the things that still gives me goosebumps is one of the people that died on that uh, convoy that I was telling you about, where I wasn't. His name is uh, Roe, Captain Roe. Well, he was a major, but he didn't like being called a major. Mm-hmm. This was a Marine's Marine's Marine. I mean, when I say Marine, this is what pops up in my mind. Uh, he was on that convoy, and he, he was killed in action then. I caught up with his 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 uh, his spouse, his uh, a Gold Star wife, and I got a chance to talk with her, and I wanted her blessing on this. And she read it. She said, you're blessed to do this. And then when she watched it, she, I got her say so. And that was more important to yeah. me than anything because when she watched it, this meant something to her in honoring him. And when my Marines watch it, this means something to them in honoring not only themselves, but to see things for the people who, who, who paid the ultimate price for us. Yeah. Um, and also families can see what all we do carry back. And what all we do uh, hold on to, not only, not only just what we bring back for us from us or or through us, but also we carry the memories of of some of these people who won't be able to come back, and we have that, and it's something to be, it's something to be cherished, it's something to be honored. Uh, I'm totally going to shift gears now. Yes, and I want to end <laughs> on, uh, of course, that was a great moment. Um, the movie when it comes out please come back and we'll talk about that absolutely but uh young sheldon yes uh you play a coach on young sheldon i do um <laughs> how'd you get that gig i uh well i 
I, mean, I know you auditioned, audition, but <laughs> but was that a t- because it's probably one of the biggest TV shows on TV right now. So was that a was that a tougher audition process? I, I got to tell you, it it wasn't. It wasn't different. Um, it was different how I perceived it, though. Um, it was a I went because I'm in the pilot, and um, so I, I went in. I had done another uh, show uh, for Chuck Lorre, which I didn't. They cut they cut my line out and I, you see the back of my, my back and that's about <laughs> yeah. it. But but Chuck Lorre is just a brilliant human being. He's oh, such 100%. a wonderful and nice person. But I did Mom and uh, uh, Valco Miller is the casting director and they bring me in from time to time and and I get the script and it's just it's it's the spinoff of Bing Bang Theory and I'm like. Do I need to watch Bing Bang? Because <laughs> I, I never watched it. I mean, I, it's a great show, and I've caught clips of it. But, you know, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson, so when he's on there, I kind of, I kind of just pull up stuff of it. Um, and uh, I looked at, it, I was like, okay, it's two lines. You know, what I'm doing right now. And and luck, I say, luckily, by the grace of God, I was blessed by doing. Um, young, Curb Your Enthusiasm right before that, and when you work out with Larry David. Confidence just is like, I can do anything now, you know, because Larry David is so, there's no words for how How is that? Is it basically, is there a script or he kind of just walks up to you and says his lines (laughs) and then you got to go? There, I I can say, based on the 13 page non-disclosure that I saw, (laughs) uh, and I actually talked to the show's lawyers, they're like, no, yeah, this is real. Uh, There is a process. It's not a script Okay. All right. All right. All right. It, but it, what he has said about the show is that it's improv, and that is true about it. It is improv. Uh, it 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 is it, it it's a it's a script and it's improv, and I can't I can't say anything. Else. I love the scene. It was, it was fun to watch. It was fun you, to watch. You know what's? Let me talk about that for a second. Is that I did it, and you know when you're when I'm doing it, I'm like it's improv. I don't have lines. I don't. I don't. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing like what you need been, to be. I doing. haven't been fired yet, so yeah. I guess I'm good. But I will tell you that Larry David broke character in the audition, so I'm like, I guess I'm doing something right. So, so, so when but, you go in for that audition, Larry David's actually there. Oh yeah, and run, yeah. And runs he's all he's audition. He's he's beautiful. Yeah, he, it's he's doing. Were you the audition. intimidated? I, you know, what? I wasn't. I, I knew that Larry David was something. But I didn't know anything about him. I knew Seinfeld. I knew Kirby Enthusiasm had been on for eight seasons before. I knew he was brilliant, but I didn't know anything about him. Like, I saw him do the Bernie Sanders thing, but that's really the only thing I saw. So when I went in, I was like, okay, this is Larry David. Great. Now, I will say that when I went in for Melissa McCarthy and auditioned with her, I walked in going, nope. (laughs) (laughs) You walk really quickly. You walk in with her, and it feels like your skin is melting. She... Her energy takes over everything, and she's like three feet tall. And I mean, but it's amazing. Just and I went in there. I was like, I. What was that for? That was for Tammy. Okay. But when I read it, I was like, they don't want this. They 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 don't want me. But I'm going to go in there. And I had no idea. That was the other thing. I had no idea she was going to be there. But when they opened the door, I heard this voice, and and like, and I'm like, this is Allison Jones. So I'm like, I'm down the hall, but you feel her energy. Come down the hall and just take over. And when I got in there, I was like, <laughs> but with Larry David. Wait, how'd you walk out of that? Did you feel you did okay? I walked out and I sent a text. And you know what it was? I said, she is the biggest spirit I've ever met. And, and I don't, I mean, not a text. It was a tweet. I don't even like uh-huh. tweeting. But I needed to, to say something that, that, that 
tried to capture who she was in 140 characters. But as characters. far as your audition, how'd you feel when you walked out? When I walked out, I said, I've got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but it wasn't shame. It wasn't, it was like, that was something I needed to go towards. Like she, it, that the energy that she has doesn't go get out. You're not good. It's, this is who she is. I'm bringing you've it. Got, you got to bring you've it. You've got to come in there. And so it was very much so, I want that. Yeah. I want to be that. Uh-huh. And uh, so, but. but okay, Larry, yeah, but Larry, Larry David. Right. So Larry David, when we were on set, it was just like, you don't know. Like, you're doing so many takes and, and it's the same thing as scripted where you're just doing it and you don't know. And then I watched it afterwards and I don't particularly like watching myself. Uh, so I'm like, okay, I've got some good stuff for my reel, but I still don't know. But what happened after that, and this is this is the blessing, is that, like, I forgot what the scene was about. Uh-huh. Like, I just, it, it was done, it was over. And every time I'd go on an audition or I'd see somebody go like, for Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? I go, yeah. I was like, man, we, 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 you, we didn't know how to respond to something like that until you did it. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I am, I have nothing to say to that. But like, just because he's not a racist person, but his response to me in that is just asinine. Yeah. But I, they were like, we, we, but it happens but in it real ha- life. It happens in real life. 100% and they were like, it does. We don't know how to respond to, to racism without being violent or, or doing something. But when you did that, that was a way to respond without being crazy. You yeah. know? And people were coming out like, yeah. like, I don't know what to think, but, but you're welcome. Okay. You know? yeah. okay. So, but, but luckily I had done that because when I, every audition for the next year was like, it was just easier for me because I, it kind of cuts back before that. I went on a hike uh, for, to the Pacific Crest Trail um, for about a month, the, the state of Washington. And when I came back from that, I was like, I don't care what happens. Just let's do this. Yeah. You know, and that's probably why I was less less uh, about Larry David and just more about. Let's just do I'm, the work. Yeah, let's just do the work. So when I went in there, I'm like, this is two lines. Okay, great. You know, how coach. many times did you go over the two lines in different ways? And how uh, did you decide this is the way I'm going to say it? Well, the, uh I didn't. I said I knew it was Texas. I knew it was 1989, and I knew it was a coach. So I was like, "We've got Dad. We've got 1989." I'm like, "Do I need to get a high top fade?" Or yeah. <laughs> do I need to, you know? Uh, so I just went in there, and it was like uh, they had me do it two different ways. And when it's when it's two lines, I kind of just it's just two lines. I, I, it's never just two lines, but yeah. I kind of read through it, and then I just kind of do it. Um, and then I say, okay, they're going to redirect me. So it's like whatever I feel right then and there, so I do it. Um, do you remember the two lines? Uh, okay, uh, Cooper and I can't remember the other person. You're up. And they're like, okay, that's enough. I said that's enough. So three lines. Okay. Like, that's, the, that's, the, that's the whole thing. So I'm like, okay, great. It wasn't until I looked back at it again and I went, after the audition, I looked back and I said, wait a minute, they sent me the whole script. One. And two, it's football in Texas in 1989, and I had never booked a pilot before. It wasn't until I went back, I had read the whole script, but it wasn't until I realized they sent me the whole script that it wasn't just two lines. I was like, it's, it's the whole script. Yeah. It's football. 
this is this character is baked into the script. It wasn't until after the audition where I went, this isn't just this is recurring. Yeah. Like this is this is real. Uh and then they called me like three days later, like, hey, you booked the role. And I was like, Okay, cool. I'll show up. <laughs> but but what was fascinating to me, and this is why I love Hollywood. Mm. Those two lines. Mm-hmm. Now, like, pay your bills, do your thing. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Just, me. just two lines, three lines. Three lines changed the game for you. Mm. And now you're on one of the biggest shows where you didn't have to do 15 pages. You didn't have to do 10 pages. You did three, three lines. Three lines, yeah. And knowing probably 10 to 15 other people did those three lines too, but something about the way you yeah. did those three lines. And it's, it's work. Really, it's crazy. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's more than just fascinating because I have to remember that. And it's not a, an egotistical thing that says that you don't, you're on the top show. It's not that it's what I did is uniquely me and I'm enough. That's where I have to take it. Because if not, I'm like, these, these guys, they really don't know who, you know, they, they, they didn't, they don't, they didn't know what they were doing. I, you know, I go through all of that. I feel like when I first moved to this, I've only been in this industry for like 11 years, but I moved, when I moved here, I felt like it's hard to find out who you are because you're always trying to be something else. Absolutely. And then, and then once I started stand up like eight years ago, nine years ago, mm-hmm. it became a lot easier because when you get all these no's like you get in Hollywood, mm-hmm. when you can go on stage and rock it and get 400 people going, yes, right. You, you tend to not care what casting people think because you know, real, like you can go rock a real crowd right. later that night. And they like you. Yeah. Not, not it, some form of like, they like you. Right. And, and for you're right. You're absolutely right. And for me with stand up, um, there's always a presentation uh, of who I am, but up, but recently, and I read a, a article years ago that John Leguizamo had written about his one man shows. And he said when he was doing stand up, it didn't click to him until he just got up on stage and said, you know, I don't give a fuck about any of this. <laughs> Not that I don't care about you. It's just that I don't care about what you think because what you think is just exactly that. It's what you think. And that's, that's because fun. what happens is just like comedy, just like with any other thing you will find your people. Right. And it's about performing for your people. Like I, I do the comedy store all the time Yeah, and I'll be at a show where some comic, like it's so subjective. You know what I mean? I've yeah. seen big comics that aren't funny to me, but yeah. I understand why they're funny to other people. Right. But then I've seen comics that I think are hilarious that are not mass appeal. Right. So it's a thing. It's so subjective where it, it's kind of that thing where, you know, you got to find your own people. And once you hit that level of I'm, I've gotten to a point of comedy where I'm on stage and I don't like you said, I don't care what they think. I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get out what I think is funny. Yeah. And if you think it's funny too, you can roll with me. And if you don't, that's fine. Sandy Stotzer, a comedian friend of mine, the first show I did was at the improv and he, he was before me and I'm like, why are you, he, you know, he was take, biting the bullet and I was second. This is my first show. And he said, and I was, you know, we, we kind of shadow box in the side. We both have been doing this for years. And he says, here's the thing. Go up there and have fun. And if the crowd wants to join you, that's their business. And I take that with me because it makes, I mean, it just makes my, my life better. It makes, it makes my set better. It makes me better. Um, I boil it when it comes to subjectivity, I boil it down to the, the, I call it the Kathy Bates and Forrest Whitaker factor. Neither one of them were ever supposed to be leading people, but they are. Yeah. And, and when you think of the, the 
whatever Comedia dell'arte or whether it's, you know, Shakespearean of leading person. If you think in those lines, you look at them and go, they're never going to book anything. And that's what people were looking at them when they started, but they wield so much of just simply being who they are and not being anything more or less. Yep. And w- now when I watch myself, even though I still don't like doing it, I go, well, that, yeah, that's the way I would respond. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that was me. And, and, for stand-up, over the last three years, my voice has been consistently changing. Yeah. And there's always a fear behind that because, just to me, there's always a fear because I'm breaking away from what I've gotten used to. And there's several jokes that I've used or, uh, over the last three years, four years, that just I know they kill. I know that they always work. And I'll slide them into there, but it's now it's like I'm creating a whole new set yeah. based on how I feel right now. And if it wasn't for... Uh, if 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 uh, uh, Chris Rock had not put out Tambourine, I wouldn't I wouldn't be thinking along the lines. Of, if if Dave Chappelle hadn't done his last three specials, it would be just like okay, I need to model something and just yeah. do that, and it doesn't matter how I feel. And now I, I it's it's been so much easier to just get up on stage and just start talking. And I think I think comedy is moving that way where like the Dave Chappelle's, like the Chris Rocks. People, even like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, they told real stories. Yeah. So I feel now the environment, you know, unless you go into politics, you got to do that in a very, like if you talk about politics, you, it needs to be great, a great point you're making, or it needs to be just a killer joke. Because yeah. now just going up there making statements about politics, it, it, I, I, yeah. I actually like that a comedy crowd wants more than that. It's like, okay, you can talk about it, yeah. but it needs to be fun. Yeah, well, the way and the way that again, Chris Rock, the way that Chris Rock and um, weaves it into yeah. the natural fab- fabric of life is where I'd like to be. And, and Dave Chappelle uh, again, um, just the way that it's it's not. He, I, I don't think he's had a, and I have to go back, but I don't think he's had a sweeping indictment of everybody of, of any one thing. He kind of says, "This is what you're doing, and this uh-huh. is how you're reacting to it. This is how I react to it, and this is what you're doing." That's his stand-up. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, he, that, and I, that's, and I, I tell everybody because everybody tries to figure out rhythms of Dave. Mm. Dave presents what's going on. Mm. Dave gives the facts. He gives uh, his opinion about that, right. and then he puts himself in that situation. Yeah, and that's yeah. literally every joke. That's Dave Chappelle's formula. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. So, so one, and by the time the end of the joke, most of the time, I would say ninety percent of the time, you're like, okay, I may not agree, but I understand, and that's I, all you can ask. And I think, I think, because I'm now navigating uh, uh, my feelings with the world, with being that whatever that that PC thing is. Which it it exists, but I think that the way I'd like to try it is the way that Dave Chappelle does. Hundred percent is by saying, "Look, I don't, I don't know what the right and wrong is. I just know how I feel." Okay, and, and this so is- so, and we're going to end on this. How cautious are you, though? Because you're on a very family friendly show. You know, I, yeah. like, like you got to watch that as well because it's a fine balance. Because. Uh, like yeah. I tell everybody, what you hear, unless you see a special, yeah. what you hear when we're at the club, I'm going to compare it to a writer for a, a, a blog or a newspaper. You never turn in your first draft. Right. It goes back and forth several times. Yeah. When you see us on stage, yeah. that's our first draft. Like yeah. That shouldn't be, oh, well, they said this. Unless you see it in a special, when, when you shoot a special, that's the final draft. That's the mm-hmm. one that's going to print. 
When you see right. us at a club, that's not a that's a first second draft. We still work it. So to take that and throw it out there, but right. it will happen. Yeah. So, so are you cautious of that? Well, I don't think mm, this is good because I I've, this has been plaguing my mind for the last uh, year and a half now. Um, I haven't changed anything about myself because of the show. Um, I've been thinking about what I should do and because I'm getting ready to open up something else. And I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't think I'm, I'm not series regular. So I like, I don't, I'm not in that realm. Mm-hmm. And in that realm, it, it has to do something. Something has to happen differently. So I don't know what that world is like yet, but I have not made the decision to change anything about what I do stand up wise because so far, uh, and I've had people from the show come see me do stand up and they're like, they're not saying anything about it. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, Chuck, I mean, Chuck has seen my other projects. He's seen, uh, my stand up. So these, they, they've seen it and they're not saying, okay, you might want to change something different. So, I, and I don't know how that process works. I look back at some of my favorite people. Um, you know, Richard Pryor was doing a, a, a TV show. It got canceled, but that was, <laughs> but that was because he shot after his wife. You know, exactly, yeah. but he was doing his thing, and stand up was something separate. Uh, where Dave Chappelle had the luxury of there not being any well, he, separation between his show, and, and he doesn't care. And he doesn't super care. Super red. She can do uh, what he wants. But you know, I I, I got a hold of. I got a chance to see Jeff Garland, and he's on a kind of. So you know, but when it. I don't think he separates himself or there's a separation between um, the Goldbergs and, and this. Yeah. So I, I have to find out more. You need to find a balance. I need to find a balance and I need to talk to people who have that balance or even cares about the balance or if I should care about the balance. Yeah. And, but this is a, a, a far journey from five years ago. I'm doing a, a, a podcast and I'm like, I'm never changing my set at all. You know? And, and it's like, well, what if you go on night, night, you know, on, on, you know, at the time, Leno, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I just won't be doing Leno then. Like yeah, it was exactly. that. It was that. But it, it, these are real questions now, and yeah. um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I that. I mean, it, and it, but it is a decision. It is a decision whether I want to. However, I want to do it. You know? All right. Where can people find you? Uh, DocFarrow dot com. Uh, J DocFarrow uh, at J DocFarrow on Twitter at J DocFarrow on Instagram and on. Uh, Facebook. All right, my yeah. man. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. Thank you for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.